Uh, So today we're hearing from God's word from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the, love of all of, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast amongst, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. All of this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make, your worship, will make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on. There we go. It was my fault. My bad. Don't blame the sound guy. He's doing a great job. Um, It's almost 10.40, so we haven't got time for a question time after. So what I want you to do is, um, if you have a question during the sermon, then you can scan the QR code and and use the Connect form, or just send me a text. Straight away, if you want, that's cool. It won't distract me. Um, it's all good. Of course, you might have questions as we go through this. Uh, I've entitled the series Hope Shaped Lives, and we're going to be thinking about today Hope Shaped Suffering, um, Hope Shaped Futures, and then kind of our Hope Shaped Living is going to be our um, third sermon. And John's come up with this really cool artwork, which I love. And the subtitle of the sermon series is, What Are You Preparing For? So we have hope uh, for the future. What are we preparing for? What are we packing into our life uh, in light of the hope that we have, depending on what we are actually hoping in? That's kind of the big question uh, to, the, to the series. And I hasten to add, if you have children, uh, what are you preparing them for? So my first question is, um, what are you hoping for right now? What are you hoping for? What are you looking forward to? And consequently, what have you prepared or what are you preparing in light of this thing that you're looking forward to or you're hoping for? What have you packed into the suitcase that is your life that you're taking along with you each day? And if you're a parent, your children's lives, what have you packed into their little suitcases in order to prepare them for the thing that you're hoping for, looking forward to? Um, I'm hoping this sermon series will be a bit more interactional and reflectional and that kind of thing. Um, So I'm going to give you a moment soon to reflect on these questions, what you're hoping for. Maybe jot something down if you want. It's up to you. Um, But I'll kind of try to give you more of an example of what I'm talking about. So when Lara and I got married, 
we um, went on a honeymoon to Vanuatu, and we were hoping for really good weather. So we packed swimmers, um, we packed sunglasses, and we packed sunscreen and beach towels and things like that. As it turned out, it drizzled a lot, and we didn't pack an umbrella, but that's all right, we bought one. We still had a good time. We were hoping for good weather, and so as a result, we prepared for the good weather by packing board shorts and sunglasses. That's what we packed to prepare for what we're hoping for, right? Um, so what are you hoping for in life? What are you hoping is to come? Because what you're hoping for, like sunny weather, will impact your preparation for that thing, and your preparation will impact what you pack in to your life and to your kids' lives. Your preparation impacts what you pack. What do you pack into your life in order to prepare for what you're hoping for? All our kids have had a heap of swimming lessons because we're expecting and hoping they'll spend a lot of their time in the water as they grow up because they live in Australia and everyone, lots, there's lots of pools and beaches and rivers and things. We're hoping they'll swim a lot and not drown. So we're preparing them by packing in swimming lessons now so they'll be prepared in the future for the swimming we hope they're going to do. What are you hoping for in your life? What are you hoping for your children? And consequently, how are you preparing for that? Take a moment now. Feel free to chat to the person next to you for a minute or on your own. What are you hoping for in life? And if you manage to figure that out, what are you doing to prepare for that? What are you packing in? Go, got a minute. Feel free to chat. I want to grab a cup of water. Alrighty. As followers of Jesus, our hopes ought to be Christian hopes. We have Christian hopes for the future. But I confess I was gently rebuked and also extraordinarily encouraged by this passage this week. I hope you're extraordinarily encouraged by this passage today. Um, perhaps you'll feel the gentle rebuke that I did too. As you consider what your hopes are and how much they're shaped by God's word. We're going to dive into the letter now. Paul, please keep the Bible open. That'd be good. Um, I'm not going to put the passages on the screen, so you'll need your Bible or your Bible app or something if you want to see it. Um, Paul opens the letter in a pretty, pretty typical way with an understatement of the century. He says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I love that our church is named Grace Anglican Church. This extraordinary truth cannot be overstated. It's right up there in front of our church's name. As followers of Jesus, we, along with the Thessalonians, enjoy grace from the creator of the universe. Grace. It's so easy to say, but it's so easy to underestimate the enormity. It's so easy to forget in our words and thoughts and actions throughout the day. We have grace from God. We have forgiveness from God, reconciliation to him. Wrath has been turned aside and lovingly poured out on the eternal son whom he loves for our sake. We have grace and mercy from him. We have been fire-hosed, as it were, with grace from God, as have our brothers and sisters who lived and died 2,000 years ago in Thessalonica, in whom we will one day meet face to face. And we can ask him what it was like living in those days. We have grace from God, as do they. And these truths give us peace, don't they? Peace in our daily life. Amidst the chaos, we can have peace. I was talking to a friend recently and sadly she is really, really worried about the state of the world and the state of our nation, so worried they're considering moving overseas, out of this country. There's big things going on in our country and our world to worry about. And I empathise with her and I certainly share much of her concern and she's right to be concerned. But I don't share her worry or fear. I'm not frightened by what's going on in the world. Because we don't need to be frightened. We have peace. Peace from God. Peace in the knowing that he's good and in total control. Peace in the knowing that because of his grace to us, we have hope for the future. An overwhelming and everlasting joy to look forward to. No matter where this world takes us, from Wagga to Perth to Brisbane to Auckland to Sydney perhaps, say, wherever we go, wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with, we have the peace of knowing that we have grace from God and he is with us and protecting us wherever we go. We have hope, we have peace, we have everlasting joy because our faith is in Jesus. And this is the sentence that Paul says to the Thessalonians and to us today, the understatement. For Paul, this joy in this peace is not restricted to the future. He has great joy set before him right now in this church of the Thessalonians. Look at verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. Good boasting is happening here. Now feel free to flick back a couple of pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and you'll see that Paul encourages them for their great love 
and their endurance and their hope that is known throughout the region. And then here in 2 Thessalonians, which is written some months later, he remarks that their faith, which he's observed before, is growing all the more, is growing more and more. Chapter 1 is similar in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, except there's this more and more language. Their faith is abounding. Their love is increasing. They are a church that is growing in their faith in Jesus. And that brings Paul great joy. There's no greater joy for a church leader than to see a church that is growing in faith and growing in love for one another. What a joy it was to hear how God has been growing in Roz, her faith over years. Um, a few weeks back we heard from Roz and today we've heard from the Ponsonbys and how God has been working in them and strengthening their faith year after year as they've moved around different cities and seen different churches. Faith at one and the same time is a static and dynamic thing. On the one hand, it's static. If our trust is in Jesus, we cannot lose our faith. We, we are held by him. Our, our object of faith is Jesus. He is steadfast. He is, rock, he is a rock. If our faith is in him, we, it can't be shaken. It can't be taken because of who he is. But at the same time, Jesus himself says in Matthew's Gospel, you of little faith to his disciples. He says, I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So faith is also dynamic, and we know that, don't we, as followers of Jesus. We go through times when we feel a great strength and trust in the Lord. And we go through times of trial where we might feel God's almost abandoned us. Our faith, our faith feels weak. And this is, this is normal for Christians. Our faith grows and shrinks sometimes. Our faith is tested and strengthened as well. And this is true. So like Paul, we pray, don't we? We pray for each other that our faith will grow be strengthened. And we pray for encouragement when our faith is weak for one another, which happens from time to time to all of us. And it need not fear. We need not be afraid of those times when our faith feels weak because we know Jesus is strong. And as we gather together, we can be encouraged and prayed for. <laughs> Noisy. The Thessalonians have a sure faith that has been tested by trials, by persecution, by great suffering. They endured great suffering like we have never experienced in our, in our life. And their faith has stood the test, stood the test. They remain filled with hope despite suffering. There's actually two different types of suffering on display in verses 5 to 10. We're going to deal with them one at a time. The first is suffering that remains filled with hope. Hope-filled suffering. But the second is a deep suffering where no hope remains. Verse 5, Paul writes, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well, us, I take it, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 
Paul writes that all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. All what is evidence that God's judgment is right? What's he talking about? All this is evidence. What's this? What's the this? There's a couple of candidates, I think, for the this. Is it the suffering for Christ's sake that he's talking about? That you are suffering for Christ's sake is evidence that God's judgment is right. Because we know that the pathway for a Christian, pathway for someone who follows Jesus, the suffering servant, is through suffering. So if they're suffering, well, that shows that they're on the pathway to glory. So God's just judgment is right. Is that what it means? Or is he talking about the fact that they're showing great love for one another and perseverance for one another during their suffering? False disciples fall away under trial like a seed sown in the shallow soil in the rocks. But true disciples persevere under trial, revealing themselves to be worthy and revealing that God's judgment is good. I think it's both. I think the fact that they're suffering shows that God is judging, but he's putting off his ultimate judgment until the time is right. For a time, God's judgment means that he's willing to allow people to persecute his people. He's willing to allow his people to go through suffering for the purpose of strengthening their faith, for the purpose of revealing that they are worthy of the kingdom of God. Because you're willing to endure suffering, because you're willing to love in the midst of suffering and trial, it reveals you are worthy of the kingdom of God. God deliberately, deliberately allows a time of trial to strengthen his people and reveal the faith of his people. In the end, the fortunes of both the persecutors and the persecuted will be reversed. God's people need not despair under trial. You need not despair if you're suffering for the name of Jesus. I'm not saying you need not find it hard. I'm saying you need not despair. God is using this suffering to strengthen your faith and to show that you are worthy of the kingdom of God. As well as that, those who persecute us will be brought to justice in the end. Those who are troubling God's people will find themselves in God's trouble. We don't despair in the suffering because we know it's the road to eternal, it's the way to eternal glory that Christians must take, the way Jesus took. But for the persecutors and all those who live their lives in rebellion against God, all hope will one day be removed and only suffering will remain. Hopeless suffering. Verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. 
This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He'll punish those who do not know God and do not know the gospel for our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Relief is coming for the persecuted and terrible but just judgment for the persecutors. I found it really hard to write this sermon because of this bit. I know people who I love who don't trust in Jesus who are facing his eternal destruction. They're facing eternal suffering with no hope. And I have been asking myself these past couple of weeks, is that just eternal suffering? But the reality is to rebel against the eternal, infinite God, the price is eternal. The cost to pay for sin was Jesus' blood. The divine Son of God was the price. And the punishment must be eternal because of who the crime is against. This day is coming. It could be tomorrow. When Jesus will return in judgment. It won't be a secret. It won't he won't sneak in. He'll come with blazing fire and his glorious army of angels. And all the world will see. And the dead will rise. Some to eternal life. Some to eternal death. I have loved ones, I assume you have loved ones, who don't believe. What are we packing in? <laughs> For that day, what are we packing in for the kids for that day? Are we helping our friends pack who really aren't prepared for that day? The NIV translation, 99% of the time, is excellent. But this time... I don't think it's right. <laughs> I don't think it's great. Um, in verse 9, it says, they'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Has anybody got an ESV? Alex, what's verse 9 say? Can you do a big voice, Alex? Yeah, I thought so. Is there a little footnote next to away from? Uh, you sure? Oh, Is there a little two above the? Yeah. Destruction that comes from. 
instead of away from. Has anyone got a Holman? What's that say? Eternal destruction from the Lord's presence. Has anyone got a KJV? King James, anyone? No, that's all right. I'll put it on the screen. There we go. <clears throat> They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. They'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Footnote, destruction that comes from the Lord. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. KJV, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When I was in year six, I got into a rock fight with a mate of mine after the bell. Not a good idea. Mrs. Phillips busted us. We were kind of outside the school a little bit. Not the grounds, but we didn't think we'd get caught, but we did. Mrs. Phillips found us and she told us to go to the principal both of us, and face up to Mr. Harvey um, and await our punishment. Guess where we didn't want to be? Of all places. So we went back to our classroom and completely disobeyed Mrs. Phillips because the last place we wanted to be was right in the presence of the principal because that's where the judgment comes from and the justice comes from, right? But Mrs. Phillips was clever enough to check and we sat in the classroom on the floor behind the desk opposite the door as if she wouldn't find us. <laughs> but she found us. And uh, she had a go. She said, Excuse me, miss. But, and uh, yeah, took us, walked, walked us up to the principal's office and told Mr. Harvey what had happened. And Mr. Harvey gave us a dressing down. We would have got the cane, but it was already disinvented in Australia. Um, he gave us a dressing down in his office and then he sat us in these corners of his office facing the brick wall to kind of think about our actions for a while. The worst place to be at that time when we'd rebelled against the principal was in the presence of the principal. The worst place to be if you've rebelled against the Lord of the universe is in the presence of the Lord of the universe. You want to be away from the presence of the Lord, if you've lived your life in rebellion to him. But the reality is, for those who have rebelled against God, they will have this awful eternal existence of being in the presence of eternal judgment and wrath with no blessing anymore. God gives rain and sun and family, and fun, that wasn't supposed to rhyme, to all people, whether they trust in him or not. But these good things will be withheld in this eternal destruction. The Bible talks about fire and sulfur and how metaphorical it is, I don't know. But the reality is, They'll be face-to-face -face with a wrathful God and no protection for all eternity. The worst place to be. The reality is that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. And God does not delight in judgment but longs that all might be saved. And Paul's response to these difficult and wonderful truths is the natural response of any Christian. He falls to his knees in prayer, verse 11. With this in mind, these things in mind, salvation and judgment, we constantly pray, constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, of course, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this. So the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course we do. We pray constantly for one another. We gather for church each Sunday. We pray. We gather for growth group each week and we pray. We petition our Lord to use his power by his Holy Spirit to make us worthy, to sanctify us, to make us worthy of his calling. Of course we pray for one another. That by his power, our every desire to do good will be brought to fruition. Isn't that a lovely thought? How often do you have kind of, I really should do this good thing because you're a follower of Jesus, but your, your flesh is weak and lazy and it fights against you. And what a wonderful prayer. Please pray this for me. My flesh is weak and can be lazy and works against me. I have these good ideas. Ask Lara, she'll tell you I've got all these good ideas. But they don't always come to fruition. What a great prayer. That our every good intent and desire that comes from the Holy Spirit will come to fruition in our words and our thoughts and our actions. What a prayer that we will overcome our stubborn flesh and live the Spirit-filled lives that we're intended to live as people made in the image of God. Why? Well, there's an exquisite reason to be praying this prayer for one another an exquisite reality that we enjoy and hope we have for the future. Why? So that the name of the Lord Jesus might be glorified in us. Jesus glorified in us. Really? Yes. Really. And us in him. I would love to do an excursus on how ridiculously, impossibly unfathomable this reality is from the Old Testament. God is unapproachable. You cannot look upon his face lest you die. You can't touch the mountain upon which he's just descending on sort of in smoke at the top. God is so unapproachable. But in Christ, God dwells in us, his glory in us and us in him. God has done this in you that you might glorify him. The blood of bulls and goats could not atone our brothers and sisters past in the Old Testament, but thanks be to God, we have the one great sacrifice for all who trust in him. Not only that, but he dwells in us by his spirit, his light shines out of us as if he were a filament inside a light globe in order to shine out of us that we might be worthy of him, that we might love one another, that we might endure suffering with joy. It's not fun, but we have joy. We have hope in suffering 
because of Jesus shining in us. We, I, drastically underestimate the extraordinary kindness of God to us every day to the detriment of myself and those around me. My sinful nature obstructs me from falling on my knees in praise first thing every morning in awe of his love to us. What do we hope for? We hope for him. We hope for his return. We hope that we will see through the day that we will live lives worthy of his calling. We hope that God will save many more. We hope that those we love might catch a glimpse of Jesus in us, might be willing to hear more, that God might in his mercy shine his light in them. How would you pack your mind and heart and briefcase or backpack differently if each day you remembered deeply that the Lord of the universe dwells in you and longs to shine out. If you expected tomorrow could well be the day that Jesus returns, would you prepare differently for that day? How would you prepare differently? Are your kids prepared for that day? Will it be a shock to them when Jesus comes back with blazing fire and angels? Or will they go, Mummy, It's the day. Yay! Will they shudder in fear because they don't know what's happening? Until that day, will you allow the glory of the Lord to be revealed in the world around you, even if it might endure suffering or persecution? Or will you cover yourself over like a lampshade covers a lamp? Jesus' glory in us means that we're willing to pack suffering and hardship into our bags each day because that's the road to everlasting glory. I want to say one last thing. I know it's late. The great idol of our day, friends, is comfort. We live in a comfort culture, a comfort culture that's terrified of suffering, terrified of suffering and hardship. And there is nothing more pagan in our world than being unwilling to suffer because we follow the suffering servant. But our culture rails against suffering. Don't tell Billy he came third. He wanted to come first. He might get upset. Make sure there's a, everyone gets a prize in the pastor parcel. There's not just one prize in the middle because otherwise the kids might get upset. Why not teach them to celebrate the other person? Don't celebrate success too highly in the schools. Celebrate mediocrity lest the kids get upset. Don't tell the person who's living a life of sin and destined for eternal destruction that they're doing the wrong thing and they're displeasing God and headed for eternal destruction because they might get upset or worse, they might say something that upsets you in return. 
the persecution that we suffer in our land is the call to the persecution that we suffer is a call to deny our faith and be silent. That's our persecution. We're not bashed, we're not homeless. We're told to be silent. And it's comfortable to be silent. But our hope is in the Lord. And so we need to prepare to not be silent, to deny our culture, to choose the path of suffering. Because we have hope in suffering and we have great hope for all those who are destined for destruction because God's glory shines within us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all your goodness and all your grace and all your kindness to us. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus dwelling in us by his spirit. Lord, we pray we're willing to suffer for your name, that we'll prepare to suffer for your name because of the hope held out for us in the gospel, eternal life which you've prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.